All right, Mickey here with an advert for BetterHelp Therapy Online. You all right? Such a small question and sometimes such a big question too, eh? Now, regular listeners will know I am no stranger to depression and while over time and with the help of some decent counselling and brilliant friends and family, I've established a toolkit to help when the constantly dripping tap of life gets a bit too much. That does not mean I am a stress-free human rainbow skipping through meadows. I mean, who is? We all carry around different stresses, big and small, and sometimes we can deal, and sometimes it's much harder to cope. Life, innit? Right now, I have a teenage puppy to deal with, and although I love her very, very much, she can be a lot. There, said it. And as quick a fix as it seems to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, and push it all down into the big inside box and put that lid on. For me, that hasn't been a great long-term solution in that if I don't get it off my chest, it will at some point come bubbling up and it's never been one to pick its moments in a good way. I find talking means I can avoid it exploding out of me like a messy emotional volcano all over my nana's carpet. Also, during my various times in talk therapy, I discovered that saying something out loud or writing it down can make it seem much more manageable than allowing it to swirl around and grow ever bigger in my head. If you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. I've found knowing how to reach out is sometimes the toughest bit, but BetterHelp is entirely online. Boom. Which means it couldn't be easier. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, then work your sessions around your schedule. With more than a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard. That's betterhelp.com slash standard. Standard issue for all women. Oh, hello there. Mickey here. I hope you're doing all right, if not better than that. The giddy heights of fine, perhaps. Oh, stop me. I'm dizzy. Anyway, welcome to this week's Sunday Chops, which was a joy to record as I got to have a natter with award-winning actor Reiki Iola, who you'll have seen in a whole bunch of wide-ranging stuff on the telly, from Black Mirror to EastEnders to Doctor Who to Holby City to Anthony, which was the BBC film about the racist killing of Anthony Walker, in which Reiki beautifully played Anthony's mum, G. Or you may have seen her at the theatre in The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, or as Hermione Granger in Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, or in her award-winning turn as Noni in On Bear Ridge at the Royal Court. She's been around a lot, is what I'm saying. As of tomorrow, Monday the 17th of May, you can catch Reiki as DS Holland in Little Door's new series for BBC Wales, The Pact, a tense, gripping thriller about a mysterious death and how it impacts a group of four female friends from the pen of writer-creator Pete McTagg. It's a six-parter and you can watch it old school by tuning into BBC One each Monday at 9pm or if, like me, you're an impatient telewatcher, the whole series will be dropping on that there iPlayer. Reiki and I chat about the enduring pull of crime dramas, how the boring trope of dead naked woman needs to jog on, seeing more menopausal women on telly, yes please, learning Welsh, the joy of WhatsApp notes, and underestimating whales at your peril. Oh, and owls, obviously. I had a bloody lovely time. I hope you do too. 
Hello, I am joined on the Zoom by award-winning actor Reiki Iola. Reiki, hello. Hello, Mickey. It's lovely to talk to you. And you. So I am two episodes in on preview of the new series you're in for BBC Wales, which is called The Pact. I am intrigued. Without dealing in spoilers, can you tell the listeners what The Pact is about, please? The Pact is about a group of friends who work together in a brewery and on a drunken night at a brewery party, they make a choice that they think is going to be funny. It turns out to be the worst decision of their lives and it leads the men to having to cover up what they know or don't know about a suspicious death. And it affects all their lives, as you can imagine, and it leads to suspicion amongst themselves and rocks their friendships. And I play Detective Superintendent Holland, who comes in to investigate this death and knows the women probably know more than they're telling. Okay, Mm -hmm. let's talk about DS Holland, because she is clearly very, very good at her job. But she's also, and I love this, the source of a little levity amid a bleak situation, isn't she? I particularly enjoy her distrust of owls and lust for pork crackling. (laughs) Oh, do you know what? Pete McTighe's written her as a, a quiet eccentric, yes. a really good detective. And what I loved, what I really loved when I read the script, aside from loving the yarn that he's constructed, when I was sort of focusing on her, I thought, I love that he's just put in these, these quiet, really unique moments that aren't simply about procedural police work and detective work. I love that she, you know, she, while she's just seen a, a body there and she's in the woods and she's trying to work out why someone might have been out in the woods at night and she said, well, maybe he likes owls. But I don't <laughs> like owls. They're beady fuckers, she calls. <laughs> and I think the moment I read that, I thought, I want this part. Absolutely. Yeah, she's great. She's not actually the first copper you've played, is she? Because you can be seen dealing with crime in ITV's Grace and also in Amazon's Alex Rider when the second season hits screens later this year. What draws you to these kind of roles? Oh, well, I don't know. I guess I'm on that radar right now. But if you'd met me a year or two before, you'd have asked me what draws me to mothers dealing with trauma. So all I can say is I'm just very grateful to be moving around. I mean, for a long time, I was thinking, I I clearly have access to an emotional vein. That means I get to play parts like G. Walker in Anthony Mm -hmm. and then fictional mothers as well as as real mothers. And, And now it seems I've gone from being distressed mum to boss lady. And I don't really know how that happened, to tell you the truth. I I must have walked through an invisible portal into a different room. Isn't it? It's it's really bizarre. And I mean, I love it. I love that now I'm in a room full of boss ladies and I love them all. And, you know, I'm kind of hoping that the next room is clown. I kind of like to do clown for a bit, like really ditzy, menopausal, middle-aged woman. Oh, I'm here for it. Do you know what I mean? Who's put the keys in the fridge? That I want. I want. So maybe she's the next phase. I don't know. But for a while, I'm I'm in a room full of boss ladies, and I'll breathe that in. But if you had said to me even two years ago, you do know you're lining up for all these all these women running the show. I'd have said no. I I don't get those parts. So I don't know what happened. So I listened to your ace chat with Craig Parkinson, who we love on the Two Shot podcast, and you two have a brilliant 
fascinating natter about diversity in casting. It is so good. Listeners, after you've listened to us here, I definitely recommend you go and listen to that. And actually, Reiki, I wanted to touch on an aspect of diversity that you two don't cover massively. And that is, you're a woman in your 50s. Do you think things are opening up role-wise for women in our middle years and beyond? Because I am very keen for that menopausal woman to be seen on the telly a bit more. Ah, Missy, do you know what? I had 10 years ago, a a friend of mine, Sharon Duncan Brewster, who's a terrific actor, got a bunch of us together and she said, "Okay, ladies, we need to take care of each other because we're about to hit that wall and we'll hit that point when this career says we're done with you guys now. So see ya. And she said, let's let's stay creative. Let's stay relevant, even if only amongst ourselves. Let's just hold on to each other because it's going to get bumpy now. And I absolutely maintain that that conversation, I think there were about 12 of us around a table in, in a, some place in, uh, on the South Bank. And um, that conversation gave us the strength to bridge the, the 10 years. So, yes, there's been a massive massive political change and shift in the arts in 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 the way people are casting in the way they see women in the way they see black women the women of color but i think because of that conversation we were we were match fit if you like rather than being beaten down by it so that when the auditions come in you're just exhausted by it all and you just don't know what the point of it we were kind of ready we were absolutely ready to take things on. And so out of that, Sharon's busy and my friend Natasha Gordon has made history being the first black British woman to have a play on in the West End with Nine Night. You know, we were all around that table that day. Natasha had never written a play before and then her first play went whoosh. Yeah. I had never been in the West End before and then did Curious Incident and then Cursed Child, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. And uh, Sharon's won awards and Michelle Austin's been nominated for Olivia's. None of this had happened before we turned 40. And then suddenly, so yes, of course, things around us had to change and they have, but we were ready to embrace the change. And so we're pushing all the time. I mean, I, I got way beyond, um, I'm so beyond, don't say it, you'll never work again. I think, fuck that. You know, if, if what I've got to say, means that you don't want to work with me, then I probably never wanted to work with you anyway, to be honest. And we wouldn't yeah, have got on. Right. So I, I was never going to cross that bridge. So I don't mind that it burnt down. But now we're at a point where we go, that's not right. Why is that still happening? Why is that still happening? Instead of the years before when you go, oh, there's something weird happening. And I don't know what to do about it. Maybe it's me. Mm. And sometimes it is me. But sometimes, no, it's just that weird thing that has been happening in the industry again and again and again. And I'd like you to stop, please. You don't have to know me. Of course you don't have to. I don't care if you don't know me. That's fine. But if it's your job to know me, Mm -hmm. right, as in if you work in PR, if you work in, do you see what I mean? Yeah. And I'm the only person you have to talk about, and it's your job to know me. So why the fuck are you talking about things I did in 1993? What are you reading? That would have made me cry. I'd have gone, oh, I did some really nice work last year. <laughs> and now I go, you know what? Stop it. Just stop it. Instead of deciding, well, there's a black woman, no one will know and no one will care. So well, apparently she was in bleh, in 1992. Do your job. Or don't do your job and let me do your job. Just say I can't be bothered writing about you actually I'm not at all interested do you mind giving me something I can say let's do that 
So we're not afraid to call that kind of stuff out now because when we don't call it out, what happens is we're always new. I'm not new. I've been knocking around for freaking ages. <laughs> Three decades. Three decades. And I don't care if you don't know any of my work, but if your badge says I'm selling this show, you should know my work. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? Uh, absolutely. And I think what you've touched on there, I think, is universal for so many women that when we get to this age where we start to be seen as invisible in inverted commas we give less fucks and so we are more shouty about what we want absolutely absolutely right and I mean I've sort of been going through the menopause in a state of of not of denial I absolutely know it it's happened or happening I'm not even sure which word to use because just when I think it's happened then I go no it's happening and for about two years ago I thought okay, I just, I don't think I can do this job anymore because I'm having a hot flush every half hour. I can't concentrate, can't remember a thing. And I had the the worst kind of sort of stage fright. It, it wasn't, I wasn't even on stage. I was in rehearsal thinking I just can't do my job. And now it's funny that now I, the night before, if I'm shooting the night before I go, oh, tomorrow is not going to be a good day because I'm, I can feel that thing. That thing is happening in my head, which means that tomorrow I won't, be able to remember anything mm-hmm. and I haven't worked out how to deal with that but of course if you turn up on set and say I'm really sorry but something hormonally is going on so I'm gonna I'll, I will get through the scene but it could be tricky I mean tricky to the point where random words come out of my mouth in the middle of a sentence I mean like seriously mm-hmm. I threw the word mutation into a scene on Alex Ryder the other day there was nothing about mutation in the scene at all just come out <laughs> my mouth but you can't, nobody, there's nobody to take that to. There's nobody who believes you or there's nobody that thinks it's a problem. Or there's, so you're kind of waving a little flag that nobody's taking any notice of and you're, you know, the makeup are kind of stopping you shining a bit. And I just had one camera operator once when I, I said, I'm really sorry. I'm just, I'm really, <laughs> I'm being hit by something internal at the moment. And he said, I could see it in your eyes. I could see the fear in your eyes. He said, it, you kept talking, but I could see in your eyes that something was going on. I said, thank you. He said, yeah, my wife's going through it, so I recognise it. I said, thank you so much for understanding. And it's mad we shouldn't feel so grateful about someone getting something that happens to, in general, 50% of the population. Absolutely. And why Why is it such a big deal to talk about it? Why do I feel like I'm being subversive by, by talking about it? Yeah, I am a menopausal woman and I kind of don't know when I won't be one. I sort of wish someone could tell me when I won't be one. I'd quite like not to be one, but right now I definitely am one. And why do I feel like that's as militant as saying I'm a feminist or something? I just, I don't understand. It's just a fact. Just a fact. That's all it is. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. Let's dip back to crime though, because the pact is a crime drama and... They're certainly massively popular. Line of Duty just drew record ratings. Why do you think the viewers are so hooked? Isn't that amazing? I mean, I love I love that Line of Duty was able to do that for for sort of regular telly mm. when we got to the point with of thinking that no one no one of interest is watching what they call them now the regular channels or whatever their name is. I don't know. I wonder is, is it because we like quizzes so we like working things out? Even my kids like. Death in Paradise is where they're at. It's kind of nice and gentle. And they don't like anything too confusing. 
but I don't know is it because we, we like working things out is it because we like just trying to understand what policing's all about is it that I mean it's massive there is that thing actually that from a writing point of view you need a reason to bring lots of different people together mm-hmm. and unless you're going to base them around a square or a street I suppose a, a crime because you know you've got the, you've got the police force and you've got the suspects can be from all over and all ages can't they so I suppose it could be that there always has to be that sort of bonding thing like well we all, we all work in a factory and we all bought a lottery ticket kind of thing there has to be some reason that we all have to be in the same room at the same time every now and again mm-hmm. and so crime is brilliant for that because you can go in all different directions and hospitals as well, again. But it, but then people always have to be ill, so there's always something. <laughs> someone always needs to be sick. But at hospitals, another way to bring different people in from different areas. So I suppose that's it. And maybe we just like watching that explosion in the middle when all those people come together. But I don't know. I mean, Jeff Mercurio is brilliant at just making people lean in to what he does. And there, there are some crime dramas that, that after a while you think, you either think, oh, I know that you're just going to helicopter in the person that did it. And I'm, you know, I'm going to spend six, eight hours mm-hmm. watching this. And the person that did it is suddenly going to appear in a cupboard. Yeah. I've never seen. <laughs> and yeah, I always find that really irritating. But if you think, okay, no, I, if I can trust the writer that the person that did it is in the room, then I can invest. Definitely. The Pact, as well as a crime drama, I was so relieved because there's no dead naked woman. Hooray! Oh. Don't you get tired? Oh, so tired. So bored of it. So bored of it. And here's the thing, right, which might be a bit controversial. Brilliant telly last year. I mean, really brilliant telly. Who, you know, who didn't watch normal people? Who didn't watch it? There was brilliant telly. There were an awful lot of naked people last year. I love a naked, you know, I love a body. I love the human, (laughs) I love the human form. I thought, oh, this is like, this is like the telly of the 70s, where there's a really, really full-on sex scene in every show and now you're thinking was I watching even as a child because my parents never put me to bed we didn't have a bedtime routine I just fell asleep on the settee and then I woke up in my bed so I would wake up on the settee in the middle of the night and my mum would be outside cleaning the windows because she liked to clean the windows in the dark <laughs> see the smear. Yeah. so she'd be outside looking in and I opened my little sort of eight year old eyes or whatever it was and there's I Claudius and there's, do you, do you remember I Claudius? Uh-huh. You're probably too young. I Claudius, as the name suggests, set in Roman times, and you've got John Hurt, and you've got um, oh, a host of brilliant actors. I think Brian Blessed was in there. And um, it was full on sex scene after full on sex scene. So I'd be there, like in my primary age years, just thinking about what John Hurt was doing with his sister. <laughs> and I kind of knew enough not to tell my mum. I was awake. Mm-hmm. I was just trying to work it. Um, yeah, uh, crazy. So, so now I go. Oh, yeah, Telly's kind of gone back to that. And then I kind of get a bit confused. I'm like, but it's it's okay now because it was written by a woman, directed by a woman, produced by a woman. So, so it's okay. I think is it. It's interesting, yeah. isn't it? It's interesting because uh, social conditioning is one hell of a drug, isn't it? And I really don't know what to think about that because there are times when I go, I mean, it's show. Oh yeah, yeah. There's one show. I won't. Oh no, I won't mention it. Cause, I mean, it really, really fabulous actors in it. But I was like, oh, I just, I just don't know. 
just don't know that the script is good enough for all of you to be getting naked all the time. I just don't think it is. But I think that because there's a fantastic writer behind it, you all went, I think this is good. But it's not great, ladies. So I'm kind of, I'm struggling with that a bit. So yeah, so the pact have no (laughs) naked women, particularly naked women lying in a ditch. I went, thank you. Uh And passes the Bechdel test really easily. Oh, now tell me what that is. I'm sure, forgive my ignorance. It's the test. uh, It was a comic strip years and years ago. And it's the idea that two women are in a film and for it to be considered a decent film for women, two women, and they have to have a conversation and that conversation does not have to be about a man. Oh, do you know what I mean? Then you've hit on something else which links in with the whole menopause a woman thing, which is at what age do we stop listening to what women say why don't we know what women say once they stop being the girlfriend and the and the daughter sort of university age and even women don't know what women say so even women writers kind of go i go oh you're this is really good except except the woman that's kind of you and she's the least interesting woman in the piece why is that (laughs) hmm because i don't actually know what i talk about that isn't uh, don't leave the house with the knife in your pocket son or please don't leave me on my own husband or what do you mean you're sacking me boss what else do we talk about well maybe maybe we talk about the menopause so maybe that maybe there's a show maybe there's a show that is actually all about women who are connected by that and what would that be? There's something like they, they recognise each other because they're all sat on a train fanning each other and that then something springs out of that. I mean, we need to start some sort of Kickstarter, crowdfunder. Let's do this. <laughs> Can we talk about Wales, please? Because the pact is set in a small town in Wales. And... That means you get to use your native accent. Yes. And you recently embarked on a journey to learn Welsh. And it wasn't just in private. You did that in public. How was that? <laughs> yes. For a, an, uh, an S4C programme called Iaithar which means uh, language on tour or language on the road. And they, they get people, um, you know, actors, sports people, presenters to learn Welsh with a tutor and then you go on a four-day road trip with a Welsh-speaking mentor who does what you do so I went with with Airy Thomas who was in the pack who I've known since I was 14 15 um from youth theatre which was great and uh and so I did these classes with with a company called Say Something In who were brilliant Aaron, Aaron from them was brilliant and doing dusky Sharad Kamrag and Bitti Pedwar Mishnaur I think I just said that I've been learning to speak Welsh for about five months now. I'm not as good as I should be because I haven't practiced much in the last few weeks. So I need to I need to sort of to get back to it. And I think I'll go back to, to lesson one and just carry on through. So I did that because they asked and people like the first series Carol Vorderman was in and uh, in this series that I was in, Joanna Scanlon did it. And we all have a connection to Wales. Either we were 
born or raised in Wales or we went to university there, things like that. Adrian Childs did it. And I did it because I there's this weird thing, I think. If you're an English-speaking Welsh person or if you're English-speaking living in Wales, whenever you tell people you're from Wales, people always say, do you speak the language? And they might know the language or they might not. They go, oh, do you speak the... They, they, oh, they've got language, do you speak it? And instead of simply saying, oh, no, I speak English, people always go, no, but my mum does. Or, or my nana did, but she didn't teach me. Mm-hmm. Or, or I did till I was 13. And, and then I dropped it and did French instead. And I thought, isn't that an interesting thing that you're immediately on uneven ground? And I thought, I wonder if it's the same in someone like Belgium. I wonder if you're a French-speaking Belgian person. People say, do you speak Flemish? I wonder if you go, oh, no, but I used to. Or if you go, no, I speak French. And if you're Flemish, no, I speak Flemish. I don't speak French. But in Wales, there's always this, no, I never learned it. No, they didn't teach me. And you're kind of apologizing then from the get-go. Or the other thing is you you say like one sentence in Welsh, as I just did, actually. You say one sentence in Welsh and that stops the conversation. I thought either either stop apologising or just try to learn it. Just learn it or don't learn it, but stop being this weird wishy-washy thing in the middle. So the offer comes up and I said, absolutely. And I loved it. And it's hard because, you know, along with lots of other things that fall out of my head, words that fall out of my head. So I find myself sort of going into French and then going into sort of Wenglish and... <laughs> Wenglish is excellent. But what was lovely is Tracy Vans, the actor, because I've, I've got this habit now of leaving people WhatsApp voice notes in Welsh, which is a way of me practising, but it also means I don't have to have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> She's cheating. She's cheating. And I, I left them for Tracy Vans and, and he said, oh, Riggs, I can hear the smile in your voice when you speak Welsh. You're so lovely. That is amazing. That is amazing. And actually, like, BBC Wales is kicking out some excellent telly. So Kaylee Clewellyn's In My Skin, starring Gabrielle Creevy, who I was delighted to see pop up in the pat, is so good. And we, we hear loads about Scotland, rightly so, Northern Ireland, rightly so. I feel that Wales gets a bit left out. Am I talking out of my arse, or do you think people underestimate Wales? I think Wales was hugely underestimated. And again, this is, you know, the, the world according to me. But I think that before, I think you can you can date the moment that the world went, oh, there's Wales over there, was um, when, when Russell T reworked Doctor Who and when Wembley was closed for work to be done and all the internationals happened at uh, the Millennium Stadium. Mm-hmm. And I think that, so that you had a whole bunch of people literally going to Cardiff, like, oh, I've never been to Cardiff before. And, uh, you know, and if you know, you get off the train in Cardiff and the stadium is there. It's like, just there. Uh-huh. It's thing. Um, so a whole, like, thousands of people going into Wales to see, to see football matches, not just rugby, and also thousands of people, millions of people watching Doctor Who and going, oh, right, yeah, that's... So I think... Before that, almost 100%, not quite, BBC Wales would get money to do an English language drama and it would get one series and it was gone. And there was never, it was almost like, oh, we need to keep Wales happy, chuck them some money to do something with it. And it would be something that it was hardly ever trailed, it would be on at some weird time. Um, 
no one ever really knew or cared about it. And then it was, and so that kept Wales quiet for a bit. They had their own English language drama to, to focus on for a bit. And then there was this change. Then people went, oh, Wales, Wales, what's over there? And all oh, this space, we could, we could build a studio there. We could do this. So suddenly all these amazing dramas coming out of Wales. And sometimes Wales plays Wales. And sometimes Wales plays some other beautiful place mm-hmm. that is, LA sometimes you see things like sex education where the hell is that (laughs) (laughs) and it's brilliant and it's always been there and it's always this and so so you suddenly you kind of go oh yeah there's all these actors who sort of if they were um English speaking left and and you know your your Matthew Reese's and your Johan Griffiths and your Chris Evans and so on kind of going going to the states and doing their thing almost like getting so so big that I don't know how you'd get them to come back. <laughs> like you got this little job you might want to do, but it's always, I think it's amazing. I absolutely love it, and I and I finally finally make sense. My accent didn't make sense to people. They they people say, "Are you from Manchester? Are you from Liverpool? What is that?" Are you the? And I said, "No, I'm actually from a council estate in Cardiff, and I've I've never had as broad an accent." as I could have coming from Ely in Cardiff because I when I was 10 um, I spent a year affecting what I thought was a Canadian accent so I wanted to sound like Anne of Green Gables and when I stopped doing <laughs> I did and she's because she says she was famous saying everything was excruciating and so I just I just affected this really I don't know what kind of mid-Atlantic accent I was doing and then and then when I finally stopped doing it I never quite had my accent back so it, it was always a bit weird but um, but now I get to just really sit in it, which is great. Oh, Reiki, I could talk to you for hours. It's uh, there's so much to cover, and I've not been able to cover. But I've been told oh, to wrap I'm it fine. up, I so I have to. One last question, and that is: Where can people find out what you're up to? Are you on the social media and stuff like that? Yes, I am. I'm on Twitter, uh, Reiki Iola, R A K I E A Y O L A, and I'm on Instagram, same name. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Oh, and I'm even on Facebook, if anyone still does that. <laughs> <laughs> Old school, I like it. And you're currently in a motel room, so you must be filming something. Can you tell us what that is? No, I'm not. I've just finished filming Alex Ryder uh, for, for Amazon. But no, I'm actually in a, in a motel. <laughs> because it, oh, it's a very long story. My husband's away. So I, my older daughter and I are a bit nearer to her school and I'm in this motel and I am literally just wandering into spas. <laughs> going, have you got, so I've had two massages, I've had a facial, I've had my feet and I've got a pedicure book for this afternoon. You're I mean, I'm literally having a kind of holiday. Well, that's amazing. And I shall let you get back to some well-deserved pampering. Thank you so much for chatting with me. It's been a real pleasure. Take care. Standard issue for all women.